Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Good day. Welcome to Kuden. I am Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, and we're here to answer some questions and uh, talk about um, grumpy old ninjas. Uh, if I'm not that Jeffrey Miller, though. <laughs> oh, wait. Not that uh, maybe one. I am. <laughs> See, what you don't get if you're listening to this as a podcast later, what you miss is all the fun banter that goes on actually before we start the recording for the podcast. That's the true Kuden show. happens about five minutes before we start. And, uh, <laughs> so you might want to join us live next time just, just to let you know. That's right. You're on the phone. You get to hear that kind of stuff. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So um, we 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 have a have a good question to get kind of started uh, with our program here this week, and it comes from Josh, and and he talks about uh, a quote uh, from Soke, and he he's also mentioned Stephen Hayes, and he he's just kind of citing some things because he's not really sure where he heard this back when he was a teenager, but the the quote essentially is, uh, it is essential to rid oneself of fear. Fear presents people from doing so many things. Uh, If only people would have a little more confidence in themselves, a bit of courage. With courage, anything can be accomplished. And he says in the interview, he also talked about the fact the main reason he got where he was in martial arts, uh, speaking of Soke, was by basically being too stubborn, stupid to give up, something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. it's been looking for that for, for a long time. And so I know you were going to do a little digging to see if you were, where that interview might have come from, but I think uh, it's it's a great quote to kind of talk about and, and how uh, this can help somebody on their path. Yeah, I apologize for not having the time to go through all of the books that I own to try to find <laughs> this one quote just for Josh. The um, library. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, uh, if it really was with, uh, between Hatsumi uh, Sasei and it, uh, Stephen Hayes, and it was not from a magazine article somewhere along the line, right, uh, my best guess is that it came from uh, a book called, uh, uh, what was it called? Ninja Seeks the Grandmaster, I think. It was co-written by Hatsumi Sasei and uh, Stephen Hayes way back. And uh, basically what happened was... Um, uh, Stephen Hayes and his wife Rumiko were in Japan for training at one point, and they were having these discussions, like you and I have these discussions. And Hudson said they pulled out a uh, tape recorder way back when we had tape recorders. Remember those? Okay, not just like a little voice recorder, right? Anyway, and said, "Hey, you know, let's let's record these things." So basically, there's this dialogue back and forth on topics, and then um, in true fashion, that offended a bunch of other people because. You know, he did this thing with Stephen Hayes, and like, like we're high-ranking people too. So uh, a follow-up book came out um, called uh, Grandmaster's Book of Ninja Training, or something like that. It's a smaller mm-hmm. white book, uh, but instead mm-hmm. of an entire book being dedicated to a dialogue between Stephen Hayes and his wife and Hatsumisate, it was a smaller book, and it was divided. Basically, the chapters were these different discussions he had with. Um, some of these other people, right? And um, I don't care. You know, I just, uh, it's all good information, right? They had questions, he had answers, that kind of thing, right? Um, but if it really was between uh, Soke and Stephen Hayes, then I'm, I'm uh, my best guess. Uh, and just going over it again and re-familiarizing myself with the book, um, if anybody's interested in the tempering process of hardship, Hatsumi Sensei addresses that from multiple angles in that book, right? Um, what's it called? Uh, not the Grandmaster book of Ninja Training. Ninja Secrets from the Grandmaster, okay? Um, I mean, from, like, the very first chapter, right? And, uh, I mean, it goes through in different parts of the book, discusses how uh, his father being an alcoholic and being very, very abusive, right, uh, to the point where he pulled blades when he was drunk and stuff like that. Really nice guy when he was sober, but 
really mm. abusive and, and destructive when he was drunk, uh, and how, as I said, as a child, learned to be stealthy, learned to hide, learned to uh, take advantage of, the, of his father's drunkenness when he was incapable of physical damage to get his dad into bed, right? Hmm. Um, things like that, right? And how those different hardships create um, the opportunity for uh, for things. But then, you know, and this is for the folks that have constant excuses, right? And again, I'm going to piss them off again, so it's, it's, it's my nature. Um, he also addresses you know, uh, things like the inability um, to handle financial hardships, right, and how people want to do this and that and all that kind of stuff, but they can't, they can't take care of their own basic survival things, right? There's a constant state of blaming other people or just not doing what's necessary to take care of those things, but then they want to do these other things um, that are either luxury or, you know, whatever, right? And so... Uh, people like me and, and lots of other instructors who have talked about this subject, right, um, as the all-around life mastery part of the art, um, we often get slammed, you know, because what we just understand and, well, you know, if I don't understand, then I suggest that you find Hatsumi Sensei's phone number or the number to the homebrew or, you know, scrape together the money, steal it, whatever, um, and go to Japan and look Hatsumi Sensei in the face and tell him how much he doesn't understand, Okay. Mm. Uh, because, you know, one of the hardships, I mean, and granted, he was a doctor, right? But the the fact that he's, uh, he, he, the statistics or the, the information is even in this book where he says that he was spending the U.S. equivalent or the Japanese equivalent of $2,000 a month on training, okay? And that was way back in the 50s and 60s, Okay. Today, my top program with the guys that are like in my inner circle pay 10% of that in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, everybody wants to jump on things and everybody's looking for a free ride and everybody thinks that they can, you know, do this or do that or you know, whatever. But, you know, it really is the hardship. And sometimes it's the hardship of getting the training. You know, I mean, how many times just on, on Kuden have we covered uh, the, the three aspects of a ninja and developing yeah. the body and the mind and the perspective and all that to be able to handle challenges and how the training is supposed to be um, rougher than the world. And all I see on Facebook and in forums, which is why I don't go there that often, right, is nothing but complaining and bitching and moaning. And, oh, my freaking God. You want to be a ninja? Seriously, you know? So, uh, but I, I really like this quote, and I, I don't know that I remember it exactly that way, uh, but um, I've had lots of lessons along the way about uh, hardships, you know? And, uh, I mean, I have my own stories, you know? Uh, I since they had a drunk uh, dad who was abusive. Mine didn't have to be drunk. He just needed to be awake, right? So, um you learn to be a negotiator. You learn, well, I learned to be a negotiator. And I also learned by the time I got involved in this martial art, between an abusive stepfather and the what we now today call bullies, right, in school who just, you know, were going to beat the crap out of me if I didn't do what they said. I got beat up a lot because I just didn't do what they said. So I get the whole stubborn thing in, in the book that we're, we're citing here. Um, Hatsumi talks about, um, in, retro, in retrospect, probably being born to be a ninja without ever knowing what that word was until he bumped into it later on, uh, with Dr. Mm. because of the stubbornness and the bravery, even though, you know, you're, you're meek and you're, you know, you're not running out there to go fighting and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I, like him, went and sought out martial arts. I went and, um, you know, I went to do these things, but I got my ass handed to me a lot by uh, by people that just beat the crap out of me, not because I lost fights. They weren't fights. I just got attacked and didn't, you know, didn't know how to hmm. fight back or wouldn't fight back, right? But I actually brought it on myself because I just wouldn't cave to these people's um, 
desires. So by the time I got involved in the art, and the art was way different than it is today, right? It's much easier for in today's world for people to walk around talking a tough guy show than it was back in the day when we didn't have padded gloves and we didn't have soft training and all that kind of stuff. And you just, you know, you, you stood a really good chance of getting tweaked. And, um, yeah. you know, got involved in training. And by that point, I had already realized that my body could take way more than most people ever imagine, right? And it's just, you know, it is what it is, right? Um, doesn't make me a tough guy. doesn't make me anything other than somebody who has direct experience with raw violence that comes from an outside source, that I wasn't uh, a confederate in or I wasn't, uh, you know, an accomplice to my own ass-kicking kind of thing. Um, as far as the tough guy, always wanting to get into school fights. Right. I remember one time I was walking down the hall in school carrying books, and um, are you still there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. I, I heard a noise come across my uh, thing here, but I felt my phone hung up. Oh. Anyway, um, walking down the, the hall carrying books and everything, and somebody screwing around, and I was the I was one of the targets in the school, right? Mm. Slammed into me shoved me into a wall, I hit my head, and I woke up in a teacher's arms being carried to the nurse's office, right? Mm. So, you know, maybe I'm lucky I'm still alive, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I think that hardship is a tempering thing uh, between Hatsumi Sensei and, and other lessons from other teachers that I've researched along the way. There's this almost a unanimous global or universal uh, uh, philosophy, uh, especially in the East, where they talk about how becoming a warrior uh, is a tempering process just like the blade is forged, right? You don't make mm. a, a blade by taking a diamond saw and just cutting out a sword shape and attaching it to a handle, right? This this metal is heated up and pounded and ground and and filed and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, Think about all the yeah. all the stuff that goes into making it, right? I mean, it's either gouged into, it's hammered, it's uh, abrasives are scraped over its surface, uh, all kinds mm. of things, and what you end up with is, an, is a work of art afterwards, right? So um, it's not it's not what anybody would consider to be a happy ordeal. Uh, you know, it's walking through, literally walking through hell, right? Um, and it's just it, it's a it's an important thing, even in the yeah, I mean, you, you practice the Nikyo stuff with me as well. In the Tibetan Wheel of Life, right, there's those yeah. six realms that represent the six mm -hmm. personality types, but the six realms, right? And then there's this bodhisattva, basically a spiritual warrior, that uh, uh, has vowed to save those people in that or to help enlighten them or uh, give them the lessons they need to to climb out of that, that realm, right? But those... Those uh, characters—they—they they represent somebody who's all—they already know, right? They already know the answer, but instead of hanging out in a place where they can be a part of a mutual admiration society and be a part of a group that you know, snicker, snicker, nudge, nudge, we're all in the know, you know, uh, hmm. look how much better we are than those people over there. Um, they don't hang out in that group. They go back into the, you know, the depths of hell, so to speak. Right, they go hanging out with these people that are off mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, and work on helping these people raise themselves up. So um, that in of itself is hardship. I mean, when you know better and you're surrounded by insanity, right? Um, hmm. You know, it's not easy. So anyway, um, I like the quote, Josh, and I suggest that you stick with it. Um, I, I, I absolutely do believe that. I believe that the people that are um, that, that are just naturally better at problem solving, under stress, and all that are people that have been through hell and had to figure out how to operate under the worst of conditions. People that that haven't had that tempering process, while they may be able to solve problems, it's been my experience that they can solve problems when there are no problems going on. Right? They can, you know, it's uh, it's more of a theoretical problem solving than it is an actual practical in the moment problem solving. And I know hmm. that's going to irritate people, but that's okay. Right? Uh, Fudo has spoken. So. <laughs> <laughs>
And, you know, as I read this quote, you know, I think some people might, you know, could could interpret it one way and say, okay, so rid yourself of fear, then, like, you're you're not afraid of anything or you have a total absence no, no. of fear. But my experience no. is kind of contrary to that, that you, that you find a way to work through it or, or not let it stifle you, but it doesn't mean things don't shake you or, or cause you yeah, fear. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, I, I yeah. you know, we, we've joked about that in the past, that whole fearlessness kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, remember the old bumper stickers, no fear? And then a yeah. bunch of other people came out with a bumper sticker that said, fear this, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's not about that, right? Fearlessness is a really bad definition from a lot of these scrolls or the um, the, the old sutras, the old teachings. Um, it wasn't about fearlessness, like there's no fear, there's nothing triggering your, you know, your, um, your uh, uh, fight or flight mechanism. There's nothing, it's not like that. It's, it's, the recognition that, look, this has to be handled and I could die in the process, but I accept that and I'm going to act anyway, right? So somebody's got to do it, right? And since I have the skills, I'm going to do it, right? Um, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, in, again, in the book that we're quoting, if, if you have not, and this is not a you thing, this is an everybody thing, if you have not, and a lot of these books are out of print, so you may have to dig through and find these things, but instead of just continuing to theorize about things or translate things based on whatever books are currently, you know, published now or whatever. You need to go back and find these other things. And I know Stephen Hayes is the demon child of the Bujin Khan and he got kicked out and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't change how to me said these lessons in the freaking book. So if you're going to avoid a book because Stephen Hayes' name is on it, then may I suggest that you're, you know, you're missing out on a boatload of freaking lessons that um, are, are there, right? And it's it's just you know it is what it is right so hmm. same thing with avoiding anything that you don't like right um uh, anyway um so oh I, I was thinking about this earlier i heard somebody talking about safe spaces and all that right and i kept thinking yeah. about how my safe space is the dojo right uh. <laughs> um I, I need a safe space to get away from people that need safe spaces um <laughs> so <laughs> but anyway uh in this book Hatsumi Sensei talks about how he has run into problems head first, knowing he would probably not succeed, but because he was going to do his best in that moment, he ended up succeeding, right? Mm. Um, but in retrospect, again, looking back, it probably was a foolish idea. It was probably, and that's where this foolishness, and that quote may be around there, because, again, I was just looking through these books very quickly and skimming. Um, so, yeah. I, like I said, if that, if that quote is there, it's, I, I believe it's in, it's in this book, because the theme of this book is really about hardship and, mm. um, and it's, it's tempering process. But he makes this point about how, you know, he's acted foolish and he's acted in a way that, uh, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, sometimes you have to sacrifice for the moment because something needs to be done, even though you may fail, right? And people miss that. I, I think that so many people have been coddled or the way the, the modern philosophy is is that, you know, uh, we, we, we child-proof the house and we do all kinds of things. And it's not that you don't want your kid to be safe, but we do all this stuff to protect them from danger when – what we really should be protecting them from are just the things that would kill them or maim them. Let them bump into the frickin' world because they're going to learn lessons faster by doing yeah. that than by keeping them away from everything because then they never really understand why, right? I mean, danger then becomes an exercise in theoretical discussion, not an exercise in really understanding what's dangerous and what's not. It's kind of like when people theorize about, you know, what would really work in a self-defense situation. Really? When's the, when's the last time you were in a self-defense situation? And don't tell me about the time the guy was yelling at you and pushing and shoving. I'm talking about mm. the time that they took a gun out of your holster and went to shoot you with, the, with it. Or they, you know, came at you with a knife or picked up a chair and was going to knock you out from behind. or Those yeah. kind of things, right? Don't, don't tell me about um, your theoretical self-defense knowledge. Tell me about your practical uh, application, right? Or... If it's not you, then tell me about the teacher you've trained with that has that. And if you're going back farther than that, then it's going to get theoretical by its very nature, right? So, right, yeah. Uh, so anyway, and again, that's going to ruffle feathers too because everybody wants to it, – it's much easier to believe that we know. And uh, see, that's a, that's a 
oxy, not an oxymoron, but that's a, uh, what do you call that? Um, not a conundrum. Anyway, to believe that you know something, right? Belief is belief and knowledge is knowledge. And you can call one the other, but yeah. one requires, you know, actual evidence. And while some people have converted beliefs to knowledge, uh, because they have evidence, that's fine, right? But just remember, if you don't have any, any evidence to support your position or you have evidence and people who believe exactly the opposite of you have evidence to support theirs as well, we're, you know, yeah. are we in the yeah. realm of knowledge? I don't know, right? Mm. But, again, in this realm, where we're engaging knowledge and experience, it's much easier to believe that you know something than it is to have the scars to prove why you know what you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So anyway, well, good. We got Josh's thing out of the way. Now what? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, another thing I wanted to, to, to have you discuss, I was I was listening back to the webcast uh, you had with some of your students about this accelerated black belt course. You know, they've got this goal. Oh, of, yeah. You know, trying to reach reach their black belt within you know roughly a year's time, and that means quite yep. the accelerated pace. I think you were saying like every couple of weeks there'd be kind of a they should be advancing in, in a belt level within your system. So that's that's quite a quick pace. Um, and what what I what I now, remember we're also talking about people that have had that have been working with this material um, off and on some right. of them for a couple of years, right? But uh, like one guy was uh, store security. So we spent a lot of time on uh, observational skills and uh, not projecting intention and really kind of like from the opposite end of the spectrum were stuff I would cover with people second to fourth done prepping for a fifth done test than mm -hmm. I would somebody who was in mod one, right? But that's what he needed, so we worked on that. Um, other things, uh, arresting techniques and stuff like that, working with my guys that are in law enforcement or that are corrections officers or whatever, right? So while they were working through the black belt curriculum, they took these little side paths to work on very specific things because that was pressing, right? They weren't looking to get a black belt. They were looking to not die, right, or looking to do their job yeah. well or whatever, right? Well, yeah, and that so, was kind of the, the uh, takeaway I, I grabbed from that and um – you know, noticed that you'd really kind of hit with them, and they were they were really seeking to to gain these skill sets. And you'd kind of talked about or, or mentioned to them, you know, that that many folks, uh, you know, end up finding themselves going on a training trip to Japan, and things differ uh, from from Japan and here, and how it can be, uh, you know, to some folks maybe disorienting or unexpected, or oh my gosh, uh, to get these massive jumps in rank while while they are there versus, you know, somebody really getting the skill sets um, and, and mm -hmm. why that occurs. So I just thought maybe you could expand on that a little more uh, in this, you know, in this in this call here with Kudan. On the accelerated thing or on, on how, the how that sometimes happens with, with rank and, you know, how training can differ and rank can differ from from what you're doing versus what's done in Japan. Yeah. Because I think people, they get on there, they hear about it, they see it, and they wonder, like, well, well you know, look at this guy. Just well, because the focus is on the Yeah, the focus is on the belt, not on the skills. And while they mm -hmm. can say that, no, 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 it's about the skills, bullshit. If you're mm -hmm. only thinking about getting a black belt, if you can tell people all the time, well, I can't wait till I earn my black belt, then the focus is on the freaking belt. You couldn't give a shit less what the teacher says um, is involved in getting the black belt, as long as it's not too difficult, Right. Uh, then it's all it's all well and good because the black belt is the sign of mastery and proficiency, uh, you know whatever right it's it's the symbol of things right and it's not that it's not but what's behind it what is your ultimate goal right hmm. so uh, and and again citing back to this book that Josh brought up uh, in there Hatsumi Sensei makes a reference to uh, well, actually, Stephen Hayes brought up the, the idea that, you know, ranking in Japan is very different. You know, he has this strict curriculum kind of thing, as I do, because the teachers that I trained with had these because they were all focused on real-world self-defense, not on just bringing another martial arts style to America that people could earn a black belt in, right? So mm -hmm. um, uh, so he's, he mentions this thing, and Hatsumi says, yeah, you know, so um, we, we have these these rough standards for getting people to a certain level and then, you know, but I, I promote more on time and feel, 
right? Because a lot of these people, you know, when I, like when I started training, nine out of ten people that were training and needed to had prior martial arts experience. So that was his point, right? I mean, these people, have, they, they learned Aikido or whatever. So what was happening was they were getting involved in ninjutsu to add ninjutsu to an already established skill set, right? So his feeling then was if you could earn a black belt in karate, you could certainly earn a black belt in ninjutsu. So often he would promote, promote people based on merit, right, based on the potential because you, if you could do it one, well, then, okay, you should be able to do it in this one, right? Um, he mentioned, uh, again, just in this book, I mean, I can think of three, four books right now that jumped to mind where he makes, he, he discusses this rank thing. Mm. And uh, uh, in Japan, even, you know, when, when, when one of these shihan walk up to you and they say, what is your rank? The, you know, almost the very next question in one of two orders will be, um, when did you begin training? Because what they do in their head is they do a calculation because Hatsumi Sensei had said that people who have been training for the same amount of time should be the same rank. Mm. Okay? Now, is he talking about they should be because if they're training correctly, their skill proficiency should be the same level, or is he just talking about, well, you know, they've been around this long, so they should be the same rank? I don't know, and I don't care, right? And in this book, again, that I keep referencing that Josh brought up here for the, for the base of this thing, Hatsumi Sensei says, I do it this way, and a lot of people don't like that, and I don't care. He flat out says, I don't care. <laughs> and then it's brought up again at some other point, and then in another book where they're talking about this thing, and um, Hatsumi Sensei said, you know, it's, it's not my job to um, make people make themselves proficient. It's not my job to police this thing, which, you know, now there's kind of a, in the last couple of years, there's been a huge turnaround on enforcement of etiquette and, you know, um, this is my Americanized way of, of um, translating a lecture <laughs> to a full dojo that two Shihan had before Hatsumi Sensei came in for class because it's their job to get the word across so he doesn't, he shouldn't have to. I mean, that's the way mm -hmm. Japanese etiquette and hierarchy work, right? Basically, mm -hmm. the Americanized version of this is you should freaking know better. If you're going to train in a Japanese martial art, then have the etiquette, have the manners, and have the, have the, the uh, basic consideration to learn Japanese manners so that when you are here or that when you're representing this martial art, you are doing it with respect, right? And... Um, of course, they were very soft-spoken. They were very nice about it, very monotone, you know, that kind of thing, right? Hmm. Um, had it been an American standing up there or, worse yet, a Frenchman, um, <laughs> there would have been, you know, there would have been all kinds of sign language and facial expressions and all that, of course, you know. But um, but it was, it was a huge slap in the face. It's not to me that they, you know, had, had the shits of people embarrassing the Bujinkan and, uh, you know, getting into their pissing contest online. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this book that we're talking about was written back in the, I don't know, mid to late 80s, maybe early 90s. I, don't, I can't remember when. But um, so a long time ago, right, the, the, the Internet was in its infancy, and people were on these forums back and forth and stuff. And Stephen Hayes had brought this thing up, and uh, there was somebody that, that uh, said that they, oh, I know what it was, that was wrapped around um, uh going on a pilgrimage or something like that with Hatsumi Sensei to somebody's gravesite or whatever, right? And Hatsumi, mm. Sensei, Hatsumi Sensei just kind of laughed and said, yeah, I've heard the rumors, right? I just, I don't, I don't pay attention to them, right? If people want to follow somebody like that, then, you know, then they're going to be following them into hell, right? Um, hopefully it'll be for a tempering process, but probably not, right? But he's never gotten involved in kind of things like that, but in some ways I think that that, has caused more problems than not because people look to him. So, you know, if he acts like he doesn't care, then it must not be important because that's the Western mindset. Nobody says anything about it, then it must be okay, right? But to the Japanese mind, if I don't say anything about it, it doesn't require me to say anything about it because you should know. And if you don't know, then either you're ignoring the rules or the people that were responsible for you to teach you those things didn't do their job, right? Mm. So, uh, 
you know, there's a lot more than just showing up and playing and, you know, whatever. But, uh, no, I, I think that's – so the, the way I approach it and what drew me to this art was the way it was, it, it was uh, framed – by Hatsumi Sensei and by Stephen Hayes and by Shoshi Malmstrom, I mean the key three players um, uh, in America, and Hatsumi Sensei in 1979, 80, that kind of thing, right? I mean, I, I formally got started um, in 80, 81, uh, and I say that because I was researching things through 80 and actually did physical things starting in like 81, something like that, right? Hmm. Um, uh, the way it was framed was all about self-protection. There was no mention of kata. There was no mm -hmm. mention of uh, kihon hapo. Nothing like that, right? There was just a, this guy's going to punch you, and this is what we're going to do. This guy's going to do this. This is what you're going to do, right? He has a chain. He's going to attack you this way or whatever. Then, you know, then mid-'80s, these people discovered that there really were scrolls and kata and all that. Next thing you know, um, that's the big thing. I mean, people were like, you know, creating these kata lists, and then I mean, everything radically changed. Then it changed again in the early '90s, and it changed again in the mid to late '90s, and then so it's just, you know, there's been these transformations for the masses because, you know, people saw something shiny, and because it's a martial art and there are these kata, they had to know that thing when, you know, they still couldn't duck a punch properly and maintain their own balance, but they had to collect the toys. So like collecting Matchbox toys, right? They're out there, but I don't have them all, you know? Um, so my thing has always been about uh, I, I found this thing that I had been looking for but didn't know what it was called, right? So I find this thing called Nijutsu. If I hadn't found that, who knows? I may be doing Krav Maga or something else that's, um, that's combat practical because right. of my upbringing and my police experience and all that. That's what I was looking for. Didn't know what it was called. So I was, I mean, there was a point in my, in my life, I graduated high school, I was in the military, I was a military policeman, I was stationed in South Korea, and uh, there was a little shop down in the village just outside of our post that this guy had used martial arts magazines. I don't know where he came up with them or whatever, but they were these, they were the American versions. Everything hmm. from Inside Kung Fu to Black Belt Magazine to whatever, right? And... Um, they were really, really cheap, right? But what I would do is I'd go in and, oh, my God, you know, whatever, right? And so I would buy these these old issues, right? And, um, I, you know, leaf through them. And at that point, literally, remember what my point was. My, my goal was self-defense and, and, you know, combat tactics and stuff that I could use on the street uh, as a cop, uh, you know, to handle things, but would also help me militarily if, you know, the balloon went up, which is what we called it, and we went marching off to war. Um, but there was a distinct difference between those two things, what I can do on a battlefield and what I can do on a street apprehending somebody and putting, putting him in cuffs, right? Yeah. So when I collected these things, I was style neuter. I, I didn't care what the style was. I was just hmm. trying to learn. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? Which is why often Nijutsu is seen as this eclectic thing where you just take a whole bunch of martial arts and shove them together. Right, um, but it isn't that. Um, but anyway, so uh, I was just I was looking at things. I was looking at, every, at everything from hapkido to aikido to karate to you know you name it. Right, I mean if it was in one of these magazines or books that every once in a while came up for sale in the uh, in the military uh, PX system, uh, then you know I'd buy these things. And again, it didn't matter to me what it was, right? Because I was looking for street applicable self defense, right? Hmm. And that's when I bumped into uh, – actually, one day I was, just, I was off duty and bored to tears and everything. So I literally was in my bunk and going through these magazines, literally from front cover to back cover, reading everything, including the ads, everything, right? And I started reading this thing about the ninja. Now, prior to this, going through these magazines, I would see these ads – for this book on ninja. It even said that. Big white letters across the top. Ninja. And I, could, I didn't know that it had an orange cover because everything back then was printed in black and white. So, except for the cover. So it didn't matter, right? So I see this book called Ninja, and it's got this black masked face on the front, right? Um, come to find out later it was Stephen Hayes, you know, with the 
Digimask on and everything, right? So here's this thing. It's a very two-dimensional kind of picture, but I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, Jesus, man, people will freaking sell and buy anything. What a crock. <laughs> You know, uh, that was really my first thing because I didn't have the, the ninja movies to, like, inspire me and all that. I mean, I was I was I saw myself as a critical thinker. I got the shit kicked out of me by a stepfather. I got beat up almost every day after school. You know, just bad life. Right. And then and so I knew what it was like to be on the wrong side of fist and sticks and stuff. Right. And so anything that looked like it was just, you know, I don't know, drunken, poisonous Kool-Aid, monkey, kung fu, whatever, right? I just mm. That kind of stuff just turned me off because it was more about style and, and, you know, acting in a way that just to me was not a human being, right? So here's this ninja thing, right? And so this guy's wrapped in a mask and, you know, it's talking about uh, the mystics and, and, you know, the warrior wizards of Japan and, I'm like, ah, geez, it's cranny, right? So anyway, so I, I had already seen this stuff all the way up here. And then, again, I'm, I'm going article for article, ad for ad, reading all these things. And I start reading this thing. Now, I'm now looking at a page uh, with this excerpt from a book. And it didn't hit me at first, but it's this excerpt. So, oh, okay, it's like a free sample out of, a, of a book. Great, fantastic. And I'm, lo- I'm, watching, I'm looking at this still picture of this guy doing this defense technique. And he's not dressed in a mask or black clothing or whatever, right? He's just doing his thing. And uh, that kind of stood out. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it looks like self-defense. I mean, it didn't look stylized. So I start reading. Two paragraphs in, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I knew that I was going to train with this guy because of all the other stuff I read, nothing boiled it down to the problem that needed to be solved and why this was the answer for it without falling back onto, well, because this is the Bujinkan or because this is a style or because this is the only right way to do it kind of thing, right? Within two paragraphs, I knew it. I just kept reading. Hmm. And it wasn't until I got to the end that this was an excerpt from this book. And I'm like, Ninja, where the hell did I see that? And I go flashing back through these ads, and there's this book. And I'm like, no shit. I could have slapped myself, right, because I made a snap judgment but people, people make a snap judgment in the other direction as well, right? Ninja are cool, ninja are fancy, ninja are all this. But right. then they fall for every freaking ninja thing in the book, right? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they had ninja action figures and a ninja motorcycle um, because it has the word ninja on it, right? <laughs> so anyway, so but my approach, uh, and Hatsumi Sensei knows what I've been doing for years, and Shrey Sensei knows, and all these guys know, and I'm, you know, I've got a good reputation for this because the focus is on street applicable self-defense and it's not that they're not teaching this thing but there's a constant reference to you know he's attacking with a sword he's a, the, the person who's self-defense oriented has to has to get their head wrapped around how that translates to modern self-defense right i mean we all start with the ski these you know lunge punches that we call them and all that right we all start with this mm-hmm. thing but when was the last time you saw somebody attack like that on the street? Yeah. Right? And it's not that you shouldn't learn this thing because you have to learn the models before you can break them. Okay? That's the Shuhari um, uh, model of training. Right? But you have to learn it before you can break it. But what the guys at your level, what I'm teaching them is, look, once you understand strategic positioning, angling, you know, getting him to attack when he's not ready or – uh, beginning your move as he begins to move, so you stretch him out and all that. He may want to throw a hook punch or a, an uppercut or something like that, but because of what you're doing and when you're doing it, when he gets where he's going and he's overstretched, he looks almost exactly like he meant to do mm-hmm. a key, right? Mm-hmm. And now you can do your technique exactly the way you're going to do it anyway, right? Yeah. If you're not going to do it that way, then you have to understand how your technique or the positioning or the angling or whatever has to be changed because you're not going to break his balance the same way if you're, if you're receiving a hook punch uh, or a right cross, right, um, as you would if he's all elongated in this classical ski kind of position, right? The lessons are all the same, but the model looks different.
right? Mm. Which is why I start people off learning basic self-defense things. What Hatsumi Sensei has, uh, in some of his books, labeled his chapters uh, as Doshin Jutsu, right? Um, and a lot of mm. the books that were written in Japanese a bunch of years ago on Hanbo Jutsu and a bunch of these things, right? Um, there's a chapter in there called Goshin Jutsu, and in those chapters, uh, like in the Hanbo Tessin Jute Jutsu book, uh, he's on a golf course dressed in, you know, the big old bloomer-looking <laughs> kind of things, <laughs> uh, golf cleats and all that, right? And he's defending against knife attacks and all kinds of things with a golf club, hmm. right? So uh, that's the Goshin. That's the, okay, so now we're not, we're not, um, uh, dressed in gi in a in a uh, dojo or whatever, right? Um, but anyway, and then some other books have come out that were uh, kind of a half and half kind of thing, like the knife defense, the tanto jutsu, and the um, uh, what is it called? Knife and pistol fighting that came out a long time ago. So uh, mm. you know, in in that one, they're they're in the gi sometimes, and sometimes they're out outside, right? And uh, yeah, uh, and doing things, but. Anyway, it's just my, my focus. The reason I got involved in the art was for street-level self-defense, and then that grew into a kind of a spiritual self-development kind of thing. So that's my approach, right? And it's what I got really, really good at because it was what – it was the aspect of the, of the art that yeah. I, was, I was looking for before I even knew what it was called. And so the people that do best with me – are the ones who are looking for that. If they're looking for, you know, the Japanese way of doing things or they're looking for, you know, uh, you know the, the, the more quote-unquote classical approach or quote-unquote traditional approach or whatever, uh, they're not going to do so well with me because they, they want to do it for a different reason. And that's okay. It's just not me. Right. right. Uh, yeah. Because I truly do believe that the only purpose for martial arts is for the protection of life and stopping somebody else that most people can't stop, right? Um, yeah. While I enjoy training and we enjoy training and all that, um, there's kind of a – I've always said you, you have to be kind of a, I don't know, a, a sadomasochist <laughs> to really enjoy training, right? I mean, you have sure. to be okay with, with cracking somebody, right? And you have to be okay with getting thumped. Not most, yeah. And most people are not that way. They get queasy when they have to apply a technique to somebody or they don't want to get tagged themselves, right? right. And, it, you know, it's not that we're sadists to the extreme and it's not that we're masochists to the extreme. It's just that there's that little edge in there that uh, <laughs> makes other people look at us and think that we're just not quite right in the head, right? <laughs> but at the same little. time, yeah, but at the same time, you know, they also know, which is really confusing, that we're not the guys going down to some back alley and, and jumping people yeah. and, or we're not going to get involved in an, in an M&A fight or whatever because somehow that's not right. So that, that really yeah. throws people off. So, right. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, checking the questions here. I don't. I don't see any rolling in yet on the Q and A side. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, this you, is the part you where I go. have to duck out. But uh, I'm sure there's probably go. there's a number of people on this call. So uh, there is. I'll be listening later to the rest of this. But uh, yeah, I'll see you so all next week. He's going to check up on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I will. Don't talk bad okay, about well, me. Well, this is a good time. Yeah, this is a good time then to open it up for questions and things like that. So, Eric, I'll talk to you uh, later. And okay. uh, everybody else, if you're live on the call, I'm going to open things up into interactive mode. So if you're live on the call and you have any questions or comments, uh, you guys can start because it's going to take a few, uh, a minute or so for the folks uh, on the webcast to get anything in. But, uh, yeah, anybody with any questions or comments about anything that I covered there or a new topic, I don't, I don't care how we do it, um, now be the time to ask. And if you're on the webcast, uh, use that little text block there. The last time I looked at the main screen on a desktop or a laptop, it was to the right, but on a smaller phone or whatever, you might have to scroll down or whatever. But uh, uh, if you have a question or comment, now be the time to ask. So, uh, uh, Steve, don't be shy. I know you're not. Okay. No, I'm not usually okay. shy. I do. I appreciate the way you clarified the reason why someone would come looking for what you're offering. 
because as you know, I started the training group and that guy is looking for what it's looking for the same thing. He sounds yeah. like a carbon copy of me. What I when I came well, see, to you and because you're starting for, a training group. Yeah, because you're starting a training group, this is important to understand, right? Yes, I, that's why I was saying people something about are, like when you're promoting your group and you let's say you hang up flyers or you post something on a on a online chat room or whatever, you want to be very, very clear about what you're offering. Um right. and and stay away from freaking Japanese words. Ever, have you gone to Ujinkan websites? Jesus Christ, they all look like they're carbon copies of each other. All they do is swap out pictures, colors, font, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But they're all saying the same thing, right? Why, and, but, but they should be answering. They, instead, of, instead of doing a lot of telling, this is our style, this is our grandmaster, this is how many schools we have, that kind of thing, right? Nobody right. goes there looking for that unless they're specifically looking for Bujinkan training. And if they are, you're looking at one-tenth of one percent of all possible visitors to your website or to people that could be looking at that, that flyer or whatever, right? right? I believe that most people that are looking for what we have to offer know what they're looking for, but they don't have a name for it. And they don't care, right? So describe what they're getting out of the program and you will get more people as a result than if you just describe the program, right? Tell them what they'll be able to do. Tell them what they'll be able to produce. Tell them what they'll be able to protect themselves from, that kind of thing, rather than, right. you know, extolling the virtues and, and aura of Hatsumi Sensei or the gods of the Bujinkan or whatever. And I know that's blasphemy. I know. But think about you know, the way you got involved, right? You, how many martial right. arts did you pass by before you decided you were driving, what, 45 minutes? How long did it take you to get to, to class? Uh, about 25, 25 minutes. Okay, 25, 30 minutes, yeah. So yeah. how many schools did you pass by or options did you pass by before you decided you were going to drive an hour round trip every day you came to class, not counting class time, right? Rather uh, than... Pass a few up. Because they didn't match what it was that you were looking for, not because right. that not because at that time you decided that one art was better than any anything else. You had certain criteria. You had a litmus test to, to gauge it by. So I believe that when people are trying to promote their schools or their training groups, they need to put the they need to to put that that out there. But what the end result, what the benefits are that people are looking for, um, that they can provide, right? And describe right. it. If you can describe this stuff without using names, without using Nijitsu, without using Fujikan, without using Hatsumi Sensei or whatever, right? It's not that they're not getting those things, but if you can't describe it without using those terms, then you, I don't know that you really understand it or that you don't understand right. the benefits that people really get out of it other than learning Nijitsu, learning Bujinkan, uh, being a, a student of Hatsumi Sensei. It's just, those are not benefits. Unless that's what yeah. somebody wants, and that's the only thing they want, and that's the only thing they're going to settle for. In which case, right. okay, great. But I, I, I really attract people that are looking for, to make changes in their lives and things that this art can help them be better with and to be able to produce better results. Because, like I said, I, I was looking for this stuff before I knew what it was called, but I still had the same criteria. If something comes along tomorrow – that will allow me to produce what I'm what I'm doing or produce results better than this. I'm going to be doing right. that thing because I never lost the litmus test. It, it never changed. Right. Right. So I'm not I'm not right. the best disciple. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, you know, so from I'm my interested. own perspective in my life, you know, um, dealing with some of the things that I went through in my life, uh, you know, I don't call it a disability, but more of a challenge. And, sure. um, you know, multiple surgeries, things that had to be taken care of, you know, that perseverant attitude that I saw in this art appealed to me right away because yeah. that's my life. I've spent my life being stubborn, pushing my way through, climbing uphill. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want something easy, but I didn't want something that would just destroy me. You know, I wanted it to work with me, temper me, make me better, make me stronger. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? I do. I do. And that's what appeals to me right away. The big thing that a lot of people are missing – go ahead. I'm sorry. 
uh, that's what, you know, that's what this guy um, that I'm working with now, that's what he's looking for, the same thing. Sure. And I, so, you know, like attracts like. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, you're, it's not like you're selling a car, right? So people need to no. stop just throwing things out there to convince people to do their thing and then complaining a couple of classes to a couple of weeks to a couple of months later when the person is gone because uh, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know if, if you went through the instructor training program that I, that I have, but it, one of the first lessons that I teach in the instructor training program is that every student that you have as an instructor is either one step close, every class, every single class, every lesson is either one step closer to their black belt or their next level of black belt or one step closer to the door. And what, the direction that they're pointing at the end of your lesson or class is, is determined by you, right? And I don't mean yeah. that you have to placate them or whatever. It's are you right. fulfilling the promise you made because this is a long-term relationship, right? We're not selling right. a car where, you know, you sell it, you don't ever have to see the person again, and the person has problems, they're going to see customer service or, or uh, you know, the mechanics. They're not going to see the salesman, right? So right. it's very, very different. But people are out there running around trying to sell the Bujinkan as an idea or as an option without ever finding out what people are looking for and then talking about that aspect. Because if I talk yep. about that aspect or I flat out look at somebody and go, that's not us, sorry. Let me give you a phone number of somebody yep. that I know that does that really well, right? Um, yeah. That way, if, if I'm only selling or if I'm not really selling, if I'm only presenting that which they're looking for or I'm talking in that direction, see, that's easy for me to fulfill because it's what we do in class all the time, right? And I've got lots to back that right. up. So, yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> yep. a, it's a huge thing. Um, but, again, you know, it, uh, again, it, it depends on what people are focused on. So, yeah, this is, this is, a, this right. is a good uh, good class So uh, or a good class, good, good call. Uh, let's see. Somebody else posted something here. Uh, do you know a good place that would give a school decent pricing on embroidered patches for uniforms? Uh, nope, I'm still looking for somebody to replace somebody that I had who had really decent prices, but, um, yeah, they dried up and went away, and probably because of decent prices couldn't allow them to stay in business. So, um, <laughs> you know, things that are decent prices to one person are probably going to put somebody else out of business because it's too low or whatever. Uh, no, I, I – Sorry, I can't help in that direction. I, I would just tell you to Google it just like I do. And um, also remember that you're going to get what you pay for. So the problem with the embroidery world is that often um, uh, you, you have to have a minimum number of items, and if it drops below a certain minimum, then you, you know, you've got to pay more or whatever. Um, so one question is, does it have to be embroidered? Because if it doesn't, then maybe uh, you have two other options. One is to have it silk screened because there are lots of folks around that do silk screening, right? And uh, since if you're buying your own uniform, you could just have them do it. There are also silk screening kits that uh, you can buy at Michael's or some of these other arts and crafts places, make your own, and then create it. Or instead of getting it embroidered, uh, contact one of these patch manufacturers and have a patch made instead, and then the patch can just be attached. Just a thought, okay? I mean, if it has to be embroidered, then it has to be embroidered. But, um, yeah, no, sorry. I'm sorry I can't help with that because, I'm, like I said, I'm looking to replace uh, somebody that I was using that uh, just, like I said, just, just vanished. So uh, where are we? Oh, we're like two minutes, uh, two minutes before we've got to – close this out, otherwise they will boot us. Uh, Eric was talking about this little one-on-one -on -one thing I had with a couple of my in-house, uh, my not in my in-house, my long-distance students that wanted to really accelerate their progress toward black belt. And um, mm. uh, I always, when I set these things up like this, I always wire in a couple of extra minutes uh, because the recording stops at the point where I say that it's going to, um, you know, the duration of the of the event is going to be 60 minutes, it's going to be 90 minutes, it's going to be 45 minutes or whatever. At that point, this service, their recording stops. Even though that we have a couple of minutes to talk and finish sentences or whatever before the phone bridge cuts out, the recording stops at that point, right? And um, during that little uh, mini class that we had, 
uh, like I looked down and it was like two minutes past and I was just recapping things, but sure enough, it had, it had just like stopped everything. So, and we probably had a three minute window to finish what we were saying to, to uh, get off. Luckily, I, I wasn't, um, I didn't, the, the lesson didn't run over. I was just recapping some things and, and then that, so I, I really try to keep an eye on this thing. Otherwise, uh, the folks on the webcast will suddenly just stop hearing me and, uh, <laughs> it'll just be done. And then when the recording gets sent out, the recording is cut off and there is no way to capture or to, to, to regain any of that stuff that would have been, that would have, we would have been discussing, uh, at the end because it literally, the recording, the recorder just stops, right? So anyway. Um, all right, so let's do this since it is like we've got a minute or two here. Last call. Any other questions or comments before I wrap this up? Steve, anything? Nope, I can't think of anything. Thank you very much. I have one question. Yes, sir? Um, I was looking for a good place for um, for my dojo to have uniforms embroidered. I, I just answered like that. Some decent pricing. I just, I no just answered that. I, I saw that on the on the text side or the webcast side, and I just answered that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I, sorry. I, I have I no. Couldn't hear. That's, that's okay. There's, I've got. I'm, I have no suggestions. I'm looking to replace uh, my own person that I lost, so I, I got nothing. The, the problem with embroidery okay. is, you know, the uh, the number of pieces that you would have to have done, and what I said. Are, Previously was, you, you really do have two other options. I mean, if you want it embroidered and, and you've got no other, you know, that the, the has to be embroidered, then you're going to have to find those kind of things. But a low-cost alternative is to have them silk-screened. Um, and if you can find some local uh, printing place or whatever that does silk-screening, that's an option. There's some arts and crafts places that, that sell uh, home-done silk-screening kits where you can do that kind of thing. Or... You could contact one of these patch manufacturers and have a, have patches made. You can actually have that done much cheaper because they'll make patches um, for way cheaper. When you go to embroidery places, they charge by thread count. Patch manufacturers typically charge by either number of colors or by the diameter of the patch that's being made, and you just get a much better deal because they've got all this stuff set up, and they literally make these things in the hundreds, not necessarily just yours, but they're running a mass batch. Um, patch pricing is way cheaper than getting it embroidered directly on the, on the uh, item because the typical pricing strategy in the embroidery world is they count the number of, they count the thread count. They count how many times it goes in and out of the material and you get charged that way. So if it's very, very intricate or you want it very, very thick and not loose and, and all that, it's just, it's very expensive. Um, so, anyway. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. No worries. Okay, uh, who else? Do, 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 do. Let's see. I don't... Let's just do one more check here. Do, 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 do. Okay, I don't see anything else. So, guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, and um, we'll talk to you again next Friday. And so if you have any questions or anything like that, any topics that, that you want us to talk about or teach on or you, know, you saw something in the news or whatever, either post it on the Kuden podcast uh, Facebook page or if you are a subscriber uh, to, the, uh, to the list, you can um, uh, use that or you can just send the question or the comment or training topic suggestion into, uh, into me via the, uh, the website at warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. All right, with that said, I'm going to wrap things up and uh, close it out. So I'll talk to everybody again next time. Thank you for listening to KUDET, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.